The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to direct and rule us according to your will, to comfort us in all our afflictions, to defend us from all error, and to lead us into all truth through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to continue on in this uh, catechism session. Um, we're really getting to the fifth petition here, so we're on page 75 in the new book, if you've got it with you. Um, Remember, there are uh, six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, they don't often sound like petitions. You know, hallowed be thy name doesn't sound like a petition, but it, it actually is. It's let your name be holy. It's uh, to say that clearly. Give us this day our daily bread clearly is uh, uh, a petition for that. Um, it's also important to remember that the petitions are divided, so there are three having to do with God's name and God's glory and his kingdom. And then there are three having to do with us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins. Um, and, uh, and deliver us from evil. Um, those two go together. Um, but let's, let's start with question 193. What is the fifth petition? The fifth petition is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What are trespasses? A trespass is a sin, a thought, word, or deed which offends God's holy character and violates his law, missing the mark of his will and expectations. Um, I've, I've said this often that uh, you and I are dying of a terminal disease called sin. Uh, there's nothing we can do about it. There's, no, there's, uh, there's not some sort of human natural cure that we can come up with. Uh, it's nothing we can do by our own will. Uh, God has to do something about it. But a trespass is a sin. It's a, it's a violation of God's will and character. It violates his law. Um, in the New Testament, sin is defined by being a transgression under the law. Um, and Paul goes on at length in Romans talking about this, how there's, uh, there, you know, where the law increases, the trespass increase, right? Um, but what is it exactly? Well, in the New Testament, sin is, there's a word which is uh, hamarasia, which means uh, to, to miss the mark. It's, it's an archery term. It means uh, to, uh, to miss that bullseye in the center of the target. Um, now, you might think, well, well, I hit the target. <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> I used to be, uh, well, when I was a student at A&M, uh, we always had the NCAA National Championship Women's Archery Team. Uh, they won year after year after year. And uh, I took archery there uh, as like a PE class. And the women's archery team would come in after our class, and they'd be there before. And they were not satisfied with just off the bullseye. They wanted it right dead on. Because in order to win any of those competitions, you had to get consistently right there in the center. Um, so missing the mark is the term the New Testament uses for sin. What is it? What does it do? Well, the mark is what? God's righteousness. <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, it's not just something you do and feel bad about. Um, that, that's something God put in you. Uh, it, is, it is simply this, to miss the mark of God's righteousness. Question 195, do you sin against God's law? Yes, I together with all humankind sin daily against God's law in thought, word, and deed, both by what I do and by what I fail to do. So there are two kinds of sin that are here outlined. Uh, but all of us, I, together with all humankind, sin daily against God's law. Um, I think many people today kind of think, oh, well, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fairly good person, you know, I, 
I'm fine. <laughs> and, and, but if they only knew in light of, of God's righteousness just how sinful they were and are. Um, I've occasionally had occasion for people to come into my office and say, well, you know, I just, I've been trying to think about what my sins are and I just can't think of any. And I'll say, well, there's one. <laughs> um, but, but I keep going and I say, well, what haven't you done? And then they're like, oh, well, that's another list altogether. I've got lots of those things. <laughs> and it's like, well, there are two kinds of sin. There are both uh, sins of commission, the things we do, and sins of omission, the things that we don't do and know we should. Um, the New Testament tells us that if, if you know what is right and do not do it or fail to do it, that is sin. Um, and so uh, we have that as well. Um, so even if you say, well, I haven't done anything really heinous, well, that's, that's not the full extent of sin. It's not just really heinous things. It's, it's anything that falls short of God's righteousness. Um, so we speak of this. Uh, we sin daily against God's law in thought, word, and deed. Um, so also this is a kind of uh, idea that many people have about what Christians think about sin. They say, well, it's just what you do. It's, it's all the evil things you do. And it's like, well, hold up. There's a lot more to it. It's, it's both in thought, in word, and in deed. So it's the things we say, uh, the things we think even. Um, now there's often a question about that. You know, if I think about sin, is that sinning? Well, no, not technically. But the moment you start planning, right, <laughs> it's, it's tip the scales um, is a good way to keep it, keep it in mind. The moment you start to plan out what you would do, how you would do it, how you'd hide it, how you'd keep it, how you'd make it work, and you start to entertain that thought, then that is also sin. What is God's forgiveness? God's forgiveness is his merciful pardon of sin and removal of the guilt that results from our disobedience. In the original sin in, in, the, in, the, original sin in the garden, um, there, there are really several effects of sin, but we can kind of parse out a couple of them here. Um, one is that uh, we stand in need of someone else to forgive us. I mean, what good would it do if Adam and Eve said, can we just forgive each other and move on? And what would they say? <laughs> forgive each other or what? <laughs> it tasted fine, I thought. There's nothing wrong with that. We did okay. Did they sin against each other? Well, in a way they did. In a way they did. But what's their primary fault? They disregarded the only thing that God told them not to do. That one law, right? So it's interesting how the law increases. And this is something that Paul draws attention to in Romans. The law actually does increase. The law increases from... Uh, from Adam and Eve to, Mo to Noah on through to Abraham, then on through to Moses. The law is increasing in that way. It starts with one simple commandment. You can eat of any tree in the garden you want, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, and they eat of that. You know, we know this, right? I mean, if I sin against my wife, does it do any good for me to ask Emily for forgiveness? Not at all. Um, so Adam and Eve, they cannot forgive themselves. They have to, they have to receive pardon from God. Um, so the first thing is it sets, up, sets us up in need of pardon. The other thing that it gives us is guilt. How does guilt show in Adam and Eve in the garden? They cover their bodies. What's that? They hide themselves. Uh, they don't respond when God calls them. Right? They... they, they they, they don't respond to his voice. Right? Um, th that's, that's this state of guilt. 
Um, and you may notice this when you when you yourself feel guilty about something. What happens? Say you're married and and you uh, you 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 say an unkind word to your spouse, and uh, and what happens? Well, it either gets louder in the house, or it gets very quiet, right? Usually a combination of both. <laughs> Don't ever say that again. And then the door slams in your. So, but it, but it's to say that this guilt is how it works. You 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 hide. You you don't and you don't engage in that relationship the way that you would have before. Um, so this is this is one of the main things when we talk about um, original sin. I like calling attention to this now, but uh, we speak of two things. There's there's both the guilt of it, which is that mar on our consciousness, on our conscience, um, and there's also this kind of fallenness, right? That um, well, think about think about creation as a whole. It's not just it's not just human life that's fallen. It's all of creation is fallen, um, and and things don't work the way they should. Um, I tell this story often, but I had a, a, a professor in seminary who, before he had gone on to do graduate work in theology, he had been uh, he'd been working his family's uh, sheep farm in Nebraska. He was a shepherd. <laughs> it's kind of a natural carryover, and, uh, and but it was large scale commercial farming of sheep, you know, and um, and uh, they were raising wool in in, in uh, Nebraska, and and every time um, lambing season would come around, he'd have to pull some lambs out that would be that would be suffering from serious birth defects, and then he'd have to kill those lambs immediately. Um, and he always said that it just sort of just really got to him. Over time, it just—it was something he just didn't—he didn't want to do it. He hated doing it. He knew when the when the sheep were about to give birth, and he just couldn't do it. And and it was just hard. And and it was ultimately that that said, you know, I, I'm I'm living in this fallen creation, and here I am with all these sheep, and and I'd rather think about that than 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 do this. And that was one of the things that led him to go do graduate work in theology. But but uh, but he was saying through that something very very important, which is that we live in a fallen creation, and it shows itself in a myriad of ways. Um, it, you know, it's a mess. Um, I think there, there's a lot of people today who, who sort of say something like this, well, you know, uh, if, if the planet is going to pot, uh, a lot of that's our doing, and that, that's very well true, uh, but, but we've got to do something about it. Um, and, and part of the problem is that as Christians, we believe that part of the reason that creation is, is filled with this kind of uh, not just uh, brokenness, but longing, is, is our fallen nature, our fallen condition. Um, so we, we think about that. We think about our relationship to creation. We're, we're alienated from creation. Um, I was sharing a little bit last week, I think some people found this pretty funny, how, you know, the, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, there are uh, these monks that hang out with wild bears. They're not tame. They're wild. Well, how do they do it? Why do they do it? They do it because they, <laughs> what they say... I, who knows, man? <laughs> they say that they're so at peace with creation because of this life of prayer and adoration of God and this continuous life of prayer that the bears don't fear them. They don't see them as the enemy. Um, so it's kind of funny. Um, and of course, you think about uh, St. Francis as well, uh, being able to uh, kind of be more, more um, at peace in creation than, than, uh, than others. Question 197, on what basis do you ask for forgiveness? I ask God, our loving Father, to forgive me through his Son, Jesus Christ, 
who bore my sins upon the cross so that through faith and baptism I can receive his righteousness. So how do you ask for forgiveness? Well, you ask for forgiveness because you know that Jesus Christ has borne the weight of sin on the cross, all of it. Can you bear the weight of sin on a cross? It's not a trick question. No, the answer is no, you can't. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing that you can pull off. Um, what is this reference to faith and baptism? Well, faith and baptism go together. I think it's sort of clunky how the catechism has put this in. Um, I was arguing for other ways, but, but um, the, the reality of it is that faith and baptism have always gone together. I mean, in, in the ancient church, when adults were baptized, they would be asked, do you believe in God the Father? They'd be standing there naked in a pool of water. And, and uh, for women, they would hold a sheet up so no one would have to look upon them. <laughs> and, uh, and they would ask, do you believe in God the Father? And you'd say, I do. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And the bishop would say, then I baptize you in the name of the Father. And they'd hold you down under the water for a while until you started to twitch, and then they'd pull you up. Do you believe in God the Son? I do. I believe in God the Son. You know, I believe in, in, in you would state that part of the creed, which you might have just learned a week before to memorize. And then they'd baptize you in the name of the Son. And, and the bishop would say, hand of the Son, and, that would, and they'd pull you back up. Uh, so do you see what's going on here? Is that you're baptized into the faith, right? And you're also receiving this faith as a gift at the same time. Those things work hand in hand. Um, and uh, it was really until the Reformation at all that anyone saw that there could be any uh, distinction between faith and baptism or that there should be. Um, and and um, traditional Christians have always sort of said, well, they, they actually go together. They, they go hand in hand. Um, Martin Luther believed they went together. Um, if you read his tracts on baptism, you read his section of our large catechism on baptism, he says, you're, you're baptized into the faith. Um, you're washed in the faith. Um, I can't remember a chapter and verse at this point, but, but, uh, but, but this is to say that... Um, The cross is not just some remote thing that happened 2,000 years ago. It's, it's a reality that is applied in our day and forever. Um, the cross will, the cross will, uh, will, will always stand um, uh, uh, steady. There's that wonderful uh, old, uh, the, the Carthusian order has a wonderful uh, Latin phrase, and I won't try to butcher it in Latin, but it's, the cross stands steady while the world turns. Um, and it's a wonderful phrase because, because it means that, that, uh, that uh, as everything is changing and as everything is so uh, chaotic um, because of sin, uh, that we can, we can trust in the cross. And we're actually, uh, that's why, for instance, um, well, you know, you look at the baptismal font, right? Um, what is, it, what is it surrounded by? Crosses. Right? Uh, we make the sign of the cross over the water. We, we make the sign of the cross on the forehead with oil after the baptism. Um, the cross is central in this, in this, in this um, sacrament. Okay. And what do we receive through this? Righteousness. Now, what kind of righteousness do we receive? What's that? Christ's righteousness. It's applied to us. Um, can we do anything to make it better? No. 
Um, I've been reading a lot of Martin Luther lately, uh, and um, Luther has this wonderful uh, sermon on two kinds of righteousness, and he talks about how there's a kind of righteousness that we have to receive by faith that uh, we can't get ourselves. There's nothing we can do about it. We just have to receive it, and that's the kind of righteousness that justifies. And then he says there's another kind of righteousness which we cooperate with, which we uh, actively seek out, which we ask God's help in obtaining, right? And this is uh, this sanctifying righteousness whereby uh, we can receive um, uh, the, all the wonderful gifts of holiness that God wants to give. But the kind of righteousness that saves us come by, comes by faith. Um, and this is, of course, what the New Testament teaches as well. That, um, and we'll read it even this morning from, I believe it's uh, Galatians that we read this morning. Um, there's uh, Abraham what? Always Paul says, Abraham believed God. And what happened? was credited to him as righteousness. Now, I have lost all accounting knowledge, but uh, credit means uh, that it's something in your account, right? Um, and and uh, I wouldn't know that lately, uh, but, but it's there's been a lot more debits than, than credits. Uh, but, but it's just to say that, that, that it, 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 uh, it, it's, it's given to you. Um, what did Abraham do? He had faith, yeah, in a way, like <laughs> he did. He also did a lot of things that were not faithful, right? Um, he gets up from his land. He goes to this land that God calls him to. Um, uh, at one point, uh, you know, there's this, this wonderful conversation that God has in chapter 12 with, with Abraham um, and also later in chapter 14. And he says, oh, I, I will make you a blessing right, to all nations. Abraham says, how's that going to be? I, you know, I, don't have, I don't have any heirs. You know? <laughs> the only person I've got is the slave born in my house. Uh, and, uh, and he goes out and tries to create his own heir. And, uh, and God says, well, that's not going to be your heir. Your heir will be a child of your own bone. This is kind of this constant thing going on. Um, you know, even to make a covenant with Abraham, God has to put him in a deep sleep. And I've always wondered, why the deep sleep? Well, the deep sleep was there to show that Abraham didn't do anything. Right? Um, he had a passive role in this covenant that was made with him, right? That's really important. Um, he didn't do anything. He didn't, he didn't merit this covenant being given to him. He, 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 he's put in a deep sleep, and God makes the covenant with his mystical lantern walking between parts of animals. I mean, it's, it's wild. Um, but it's in the same way. You didn't die on a cross for that, for that righteousness. It was, it was given to you. continue on. Does God forgive your sins? Yes. In Christ, God freely forgives the sins of all, including me, who sincerely repent and in true faith turn to him. Um, forgiveness, um, you'll note there's a little, there's a condition put on this. Inclu- God freely forgives the sins of all, including me, who sincerely repent and in true faith turn to him. So to be a people who uh, sincerely repent. Now, I'm going to be careful about this because some people sometimes they'll ask, like, what if I wasn't so sincere? What if I wasn't really, really, really sorry? Right? I've got kids. I know how it is. You know, you catch them doing something. You say, but I'm sorry. It's like, really? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I, I remember uh, my mom 
mom used to say, oh, you'll be very sorry soon. <laughs> um, yeah, it always, always was. Uh, but it's, it's uh, what, what is required? Perfect sorrow? Perfect repentance? This is the wonderful thing. Repentance is also a gift. And the way you get more of it is by being faithful in what little gift of it you're given. <laughs> so you receive this gift of repentance and you, you, you take it seriously. And, and you repent in these ways that you're given to do it. Um, and, and you know you'll fail probably, right? Um, but, but you express this contrition insofar as you're able. And you, and you get after it. Um, and God gives you more, right? Um, repentance is as much an act of faith as anything else. Um, and the reason that I would say this, and this is what's often lost in thinking about repentance, is this. Most people think about repentance and they think, oh, this just means I've got to turn away from sin. That's half of what repentance is. The first half is turning away from sin. The second half is turning to God in faith and asking for his gifts, asking for his grace. Um, mere, mere repentance in the sense of just turning away from sin doesn't do anybody any good. I mean, I, I've, I've known people through the years to say, well, I used to be, you know, a riverboat gambler and a very bad man, right? I've never known a riverboat gambler. I would like to eventually. Uh, you know, that might make hearing confessions more interesting um, than it is. It's not very. Um, but, but to say, uh, but now, you know, I don't do anything. I just, I just golf. Really? Is that our idea of repentance? Um. No, for the Christian to, to turn from sin means to make that full 180 and turn to God and to his righteousness and turn to this life of grace. Um, so that's got to be taken into account. Um, and when we ask for forgiveness, that's what we're asking for in the Lord's Prayer. Um, forgive us. So this is really... So when you ask... A, maybe, you've, maybe you've sinned against a friend and you ask the friend to forgive you. Can the friend give you the grace necessary to amend your life? That's what's really hard about mending human relationships, right? I mean, I can forgive people, but I also can't give them anything to help them repent. I can't give them any grace. I can't do any of that. The only thing I can do is say, I forgive you, and I'll pray for you. Right? <laughs> now, stay away. Right? That's all I can do. Um, hopefully, it's better than that. Um, but what can God do? When we say, forgive us our trespasses, what are we saying? We're saying, not only forgive us, but also give us the grace necessary to be in this perfect thing. Give us perfect repentance. Give us true repentance. Give us, give us your grace to be able to do this. All right. So should we move on to forgive those who trespass against us? Why should you forgive others? I should forgive others because while I was still a sinner, God forgave me through Jesus Christ. Failing to forgive impedes God's work in my life and gives opportunity to the evil one. Jesus tells this parable in, in, uh, in the Gospels of a man who's forgiven an incredible debt. Remember this story? And by incredible, I mean a bajillion dollars. Um, we have a New Testament guy in here. Do you know what that figure is? It's, it's insane, right? It's 
It's a lot of money. Yeah, it's like it's like a lot. Um, and and he's forgiven this this way. He's forgiven this debt that he owes. And then he goes and shakes down the neighbors for you know ten dollar bills essentially, fifty dollar bills. Uh, pay what you owe. Um, we're often like that. We've been forgiven more of a debt than anyone in our life could even know about. Unless we wanted to have confession time right now, that's just the case, right? Uh, and, and we wouldn't even be able to tell it all at that point. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do it. Only you and God know how deep your sin is and just how much you've been forgiven. And to go out and, uh, and uh, shake down those who owe you is, is a betrayal of the grace that you've been given. So what's called for? Well, here it is. Um, we should forgive others because while I was still a sinner, God forgave me through Jesus Christ. Failing to forgive impedes God's work in my life. We should always be careful about saying that God's work is impeded, right? I mean, God can do whatever he wants, yes? But it does impede his work, right? Because we just show that we don't really want that forgiveness and the quality that it's given. Um, and it gives opportunity to the evil one. Unforgiveness is an absolute plague on the human soul. Um, my former bishop in California, who was a very holy man, he had his faults, but he was a very holy man, um, he told of going to a hospital one day to visit a woman who was very sick, and no one could tell why. Um, they'd run all kinds of tests. They'd been uh, through it with her. They'd, you know... It was almost like a bad episode of House where they just can't figure out what's going on. And every time they think they know what happens, another loop is thrown. And they just don't, they couldn't find, they couldn't figure out. Full, you know, they did the full body scan, which are always worthless. Um, and, and nothing, couldn't find anything. And she's, she was dying. Um, she had kidney failure. She had all kinds of other things going on. And uh, the bishop was called in. Um, and she had been away from the church for a long time, but it was uh, a parishioner's daughter. And uh, he went in, and he just felt moved <laughs> to, to just grab her by the hand and talk to her. So he took her by the hand, and he said, My dear, it's time to let go <laughs> of, of all that hatred <laughs> that you've had through your life. She said, What are you talking about? Dear, unforgiveness will kill you. What are you talking about? She said, you will die in this bed if you don't forgive. And she broke down. And uh, she talked to him and told him what had, what had gone on. Um, and she was released from the hospital a few days later, <laughs> having called this person whom she had never forgiven. Um, it was a terrible weight that she'd borne for a long, long time. Um, it'll do that to you. It'll wreck your soul. I remember uh, I was, a, for a number of years, I was a ropes course instructor. You know what I'm talking about with the high ropes and all that stuff? And I used to do this. I'm, I'm still a certified experiential therapist. I know it's very fancy. Um, but uh, we would occasionally get uh, kids through that were challenged kids, and, and uh, they would be on the course, and... There was one girl I remember, and she, she had worked herself to the bone all through her sophomore year and freshman year of high school. 
to get the best grades she possibly could because her aunt had said, if you uh, can get these kind of grades, then I'll pay for your college. And her parents had no way to pay for college, and she really wanted to go to college, and so she finished up. She was halfway through her junior year, and she was doing, she was doing really well. And her aunt uh, experienced some financial troubles and called her up and said, you know, I'm really sorry, but that's just not going to happen anymore. And she had all of this anger about it. So we did what we always did with people who carry anger around. We make them carry something heavy. <laughs> and we took a bandana and tied it around a cinder block and said, well, you know, here's your anger, and you can carry it around for the rest of the day. Uh, and when, as soon as you're ready to let go of it, you know, you just let it go. <laughs> and and uh, so she did. She carried it around for uh, a couple hours and was always wanting to set it down. And we'd say, nope, you got to pick it right back up. <laughs> and uh, and she, I think she even climbed some, some tall things with this thing. Uh, holding on to it, and uh, finally she was just so tired, and she just, she just dropped it, and uh, I remember talking to her, and, and she just said, I'm just so angry, I just don't know what to do about it, and, uh, and the message was pretty simple, this anger you carry around is, is hindering you deeply, um, and we carry anger around like that a lot. Um, one of the biggest reasons that, uh, that uh, men get into sexual sin, women too, is because they carry around deep anger, deep anger. Um, and it's one of the things that we just have to be really careful about is that this anger that we carry with us will ruin us. Because what happens with angry people? Remember, I, I said a little bit about this last week. What, what do you do when you're angry? Yeah, you hurt other people. You take control where you can take control. Um, and, and sometimes in very destructive ways, you take control. Sometimes you're just after the feeling of being in control. Um, controlling certain fantasies, controlling certain uh, uh, people. Um, it's very destructive. Um, so uh, letting go of anger is important, and letting go of anger is at the center of what forgiveness is. So I'm going to let go of anger. And, and what we do in this prayer is we're learning a way of letting go of anger. Um, forgive us our trespasses as right, their concurrent activities, as we forgive those who trespass against us. How do you forgive others? Forgiveness is a decision of my will and an attitude of my heart that seeks the good of my neighbor and chooses not to hold against them the damage they have inflicted. I forgive whether they have asked for forgiveness or not. This is so crucial. I can't tell you how many hours I spent. I was, I was the prime author on this section of the, of the catechism because I just said, we got to make this right. And, uh, and I spent hours and hours and hours wordsmithing this because this is such an important thing. Do we forgive only those who ask for our forgiveness? What's the literal sense of this text? Does it say, as we forgive those who trespass against us and ask for our forgiveness with tears in their eyes and sadness in their hearts? No. What does it say? as we forgive those who trespass against us. So we are called upon to forgive whether people have asked for our forgiveness or not. Um, because forgiveness is a decision of my will, and it's an attitude of my heart that seeks the good of my neighbor. When we fail to forgive, what we're doing is we're essentially saying, damn you. That's what we're doing. I mean that seriously. Um, we're cursing people when we, when we fail to forgive. 
Um, and how, how, do we, how do we get out of this pattern? We ask God to help us. We ask God for a new attitude of our heart. We ask God for a new will. We ask God for, for the gift of repentance in this way. Um, and what we do is we choose not to hold against them the damage that they've inflicted. Um, I love what Steve Waters says about this. In the, in the Tibetan translations of the New Testament, the word for forgiveness is the same word as letting a fish you've caught off the hook. Isn't that great? It's like, <laughs> I could eat you, okay? I could eat you for dinner and you know, enjoy you immensely. But I'm going to let you go. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the amount of money. Yeah, so there you go. 60 million or 60 billion? 60 million days. So it's a lot of money. Yeah. That's what I remember. It was like, you know, beyond imagining, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the year's wage is 300 denarii, right? In those words, yeah, 60 million days of work. So 60, de- 60 million denarii, right, would be something like it. Um, it's a lot of money. Um, this, is, this is to say the extent of God's forgiveness of us is, is gratuitous to the core. The quality of it is immense. Um, and, and very often our hearts are so cold. Now, let me ask you, well, and this I think is the next question well. Will your forgiveness of others always result in reconciliation? No. Though my decision and desire to forgive may not result in my neighbor's repentance or our reconciliation, I am still called to forgive. This is one of the hardest things today because many Christians grew up being told you got to be reconciled um, and you got to go out of your way to be reconciled to uh, to people who are very toxic and have no boundaries, right? <laughs> and uh, you got to be very, uh, you got to be reconciled to people that, um, that will use you and abuse you. Uh, the reality is you don't have to do that at all. Now, you can choose to do that. You can make a conscious choice. But I will tell you that very often you get drawn into, uh, into someone else's sin very quickly. Um, and so sometimes it's best to just say, Something like this. I love you, and I forgive you, and I don't hold anything that you've done against me. I'm going to tell you, though, that my tolerance for that kind of behavior is not there anymore. And I will say something about it in the future. And if that means that we won't be friends anymore, or you won't, you know, you won't be around anymore, that's your decision. But I'm always at the ready to be your friend, or, or whatever it might be. Um, that will mean that some people are just like, well, I don't want anything to do with that. Because some people at the core are so abusive, they can't think of any other way to be in a relationship with somebody but to just use them and abuse them and all that. Um, we have to have a way that's, that's uh, <laughs> wise as, serpent as, as serpents and innocent as doves. Um, man, I've been learning about how it means, what it means to be wise as a serpent because uh, my nine-year-old daughter has a snake now a little ball python, and we, uh, we tried feeding it frozen rats, and it just didn't go very well, and the snake didn't. The snake, as it turns out, is a hunter. She likes her prey live, and so we have to feed her live rats. Well, I thought, you know, we'd just sort of stick them in this tub and 
you know, the snake would eat the rat and that'd be it. Well, no, that's not how the snake operates. The snake cozies up to the rat. Makes the rat think, I know I'm giving Stevie fits over there. <laughs> cozies up to the rat. Makes the rat think they're friends. Makes the rat think that uh, its day has not come. And then you'll see it happen. The rat will get a little too cozy. It'll stick its nose out at the snake. And the snake will be in striking position. And it's all over from there. Um, wise as serpents occasionally means um, keep holding your cards very close. It means uh, uh, sticking it out through some friendships that are, that are, that are rough. Now, not because you're going to kill your neighbor, right? Okay, that's not the point I want you to get from this. I want you to get that, that sometimes you've got to be savvy about this, and sometimes you've got you to stick it out in some friendships that are going to be difficult and where there's going to be hostility. Um, but, 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 um, but innocence as doves is the correction for that. Man, I'm getting all kinds of good analogies. We had a dove wander in our chicken coop, and the chickens went berserk on that dove, and they very nearly killed it. And I was excited about that because I love dove breast, and uh, the kids were horrified. And uh, and and that dove made it out with its life, you know, unexpectedly. Uh, but but that dove, you know, it was helpless against those chickens, helpless. Um, and so sometimes, and this is what I'd say too, sometimes. Um, you get to, as an act of your own will, enter into a situation where you will take a beating for other people's stuff, other people's sins. And you'll do it willingly. Well, where do we see that? On the cross. We see it on the cross. And there are times when you can will to be uh, 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 taken advantage of and abused uh, for the sake of really loving another person. But it's, but it's at your will. Um, and uh, I want to make that clear. Go ahead. Yes. So this at the end of the day, what we do, actually. So this is the fun part, right? What's the best way? If you're having trouble forgiving someone, what's the best way to get there? Yeah, pray for your enemies. Bless those who curse you, right? Um, in this way, you'll be heaping hot coals upon their heads, which is fun too, right? Um, uh, it, it's, it's to say that, uh, that um, we have this wonderful opportunity to, to, just, to just heap... Um, prayers upon our enemies. Um, so one thing I want to encourage you, if you're really having trouble forgiving or letting go, pray for your enemies. Um, I forget who said it, but you know, if you don't have enemies, you're not doing it right. You know, <laughs> uh, Jesus doesn't say, you know, uh, you know, all, you know, y'all, at some point, for no reason of your own, you might have some enemies. He doesn't say that. He says, pray for your enemies, just straight up. Why? Because you're going to have some. Um, and uh, a lot of people try to live as though they don't have any enemies. They say, well, I don't have any enemies. I love everyone. Bull. Bull. Um, not true. Okay. What time are we at? 10.30. Okay, that means I've got like another five minutes. Let me, just, let me just introduce this so we can have a little bit of 
discussion of temptation during this time of Lent. What is the sixth petition? The sixth petition is, and lead us not into temptation. What is temptation? Temptation is any enticement to turn from faith in God and to violate his commandments. Temptation is an enticement. Um, Enticement is not a word we use that often, um, except when we're thinking about something like getting someone to take a job that they maybe don't want to take, right? Getting someone to do something for you that they maybe don't want to do, right? Um, Things like this. I really don't like painting, but I'm going to be painting our entire master bedroom this week. Why? Because of the enticement of getting a new paint sprayer. I love a good tool. So I'll do anything for a good tool, right? Because there's something about having that, just the right tool in your hand that can, that can do it. Uh, so that's enough enticement for me. I don't need anything else. I'm like, man, I'll just get, you know, I love the, love the sprayer. Um, so so that's, that's it for me. Um, but, but think about the enticement. Think about, think about Eve in the garden. What what does Satan say? First he lies to her, says you will not die. But but you'll be like God. There's all the enticement she needed. Oh man, I could be like God. That'd be be neat, wouldn't it? Um, First first temptation out of the gate is that one. And why? Because he actually thinks it's possible. Uh, So it's an enticement. You think you're going to get something good. You think every time, right? Um, I love what uh, an old friend said. He was in the old days in the prayer book. You, you had to pray uh, in the in the confession. Um, you know, we miserable sinners. And she came up to him after church one day and said, "Father, I want you to know that I know I'm a sinner. I've just never been a miserable one." <laughs> and uh, and uh, well, there it is. You know you. You don't sin because you think it's going to bring you misery. You sin because you think it's going to make you very happy. Um, and uh, miserable doesn't mean that, of course. Miserable in that sense means uh, that we stand in need of mercy. Um, what are the sources of temptation? I am tempted by the false promises of the world, the selfish desires of my flesh, and the lies of the devil, all of which war against God and my spiritual well-being. Um, I love this how this is put. You know, these these things war against God. That's really the heart of it. What's going on? Temptation is a skirmish in a war, a war that's been going on a very, very, very long time. Um, but it's still a war. I mean, it's a war of attrition, and it's a war of uh, of uh, attempting to uh, to sway uh, um, from one side or the other. Um, at the end of the day, uh, Satan is fighting a, bat, a war that he knows he's going to lose. But that doesn't mean he doesn't like winning an occasional skirmish here or there. Um, and so we are tempted by these false promises. Right? Um, false promises are, uh, are the stuff of temptation. And they're the stuff of temptation because we wouldn't do it if we didn't think we could get it. We, didn't, we wouldn't do it if we didn't think we could uh, get away with it. We wouldn't do it if we didn't think we could get some pleasure out of it. Uh, we wouldn't do it if we didn't think we could uh, be in some way made happy by it. 
even just for a time. So the promise offered is, you know, do this, and, uh, and, you know, for a while it'll go really well for you. And sometimes it does. Uh, but there's always, 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 always that, that, um, that, that guilt in the background. In addition to that, um, people tend to go uh, in, this, in one direction at a time, uh, from bad to worse. And the reality of it is that uh, in this life, um, the idea that we can sort of say, hey, you know, yeah, I've done some bad things. I've also done some good things. And the balance of my life is going in the right direction. This is an idea in moral theology called the fundamental option. It's basically like, well, at least the scales are tipped in my favor. And? You think that's enough? You think that's going to do it? Or, or in this situation, at least I had good intentions. We all know what that is. Um, so the truth of it is that there are, there are things in this life and, and sins are fundamentally disordered. They're fundamentally evil, actually. Um, and so the enticement is only a way to say this. It's a way to say, um, listen, I promise you that, uh, that it's not going to be that bad, or I promise you that uh, you'll feel good, or I promise you that no one will find out, or I promise you that no one will think it's that bad, or I promise you that God doesn't care that much, or I promise you that, you know, whatever it might be, it's just going on down the list. They're all empty promises. Um, so how, how, to, how to survive temptation? I don't want to just leave it there. Um, the way to survive temptation is by praying this prayer, lead us not into temptation. Um, to pray that God would defend us against all temptation, um, and to pray that we would recognize these empty promises for what they are, which is empty. Uh, can't offer you a thing. Um, why? Well, just put it really simply. The tempter, Satan, does not have his own clay. As I think it's St. Augustine said, um, he can't offer you anything that belongs to him because he didn't own anything. He didn't make anything. All he can do is offer you things that God made and loves that God made and affections that God made and turn them for his purpose. Um, so what does the Christian do? Well, the Christian looks and says, what are my desires? What are my deepest and holy desires? Um, and And attempts to turn those good desires uh, to the living God. Um, well, we can't do that without grace. So we ask for grace to turn all of our good desires towards God. And uh, Lent is a great time to do that, to think about what is it that I really want? What is it that I really, when I, when I sin, what is it that I'm really going for? And then ask, ask God to redeem that. All right, we'll pick up here soon. But uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to finish up the Lord's Prayer, and then I'm going to take a couple weeks and do a uh, familiarization tour through the prayer book. We'll talk about how to pray the daily office, and uh, that'll be a fun thing, and uh, get, some, uh, get some experience with that. All right, see you again soon.